Welcome to the Prison Care Podcast. I'm Sabrina Justison, founder of PrisonCare.org, equipping compassionate people to support the often invisible people groups who make up a prison neighborhood. The inmate residents, correctional officers, staff, administration, and the families of all these folks. Join me for this week's episode and be encouraged to think, care, and respond as we explore the challenges facing prison neighborhoods everywhere. Let's support positive prison culture from the outside, because everyone on the inside matters. Welcome to Episode 2 of the Prison Care Podcast. What is prison care, and why is it important? Sabrina here, and if you haven't yet listened to Episode 1, Welcome to the Prison Care Podcast, well, that might be the best place to start. On that introductory episode, I share from Prison Care Incorporated's mission statement and give you a glimpse of the beautiful and hopeful vision of our nonprofit that is working to create prison culture that is less toxic for everyone touched by it. The people who are incarcerated, the officers and staff who are charged with their custody, care, and control, the administrators who are trying to keep all the plates spinning, and the countless families of all of these folks who are impacted by incarceration in one way or another every day. Today, we get to dig into the practical side of what a prison care compassion team is, what an individual or group can actually do that makes a positive difference, what would best be avoided by a prison care compassion team, and why all of these things have tremendous significance in the big picture, even if they seem like tiny efforts. Let's start with that big picture significance. A core piece of our philosophy is this. As long as our society requires that we have prisons, it is unacceptable that they should be facilities that eat away at the lives of every person behind the walls, whether they are sentenced to live there for a crime they have committed, or whether they are the folks who are paid to keep the others locked up. It's our responsibility as their fellow human beings to improve things in whatever way we can. Sure, fundamental reform is desperately needed, but in the meantime, doing small things with great love, as Mother Teresa so famously encouraged, provides an exciting opportunity. I shared in the first episode that if we think of prisons like hospitals, we can quickly see what the problem is and what we need to do differently as individuals who live outside those walls. Let me lean into that metaphor a little bit. I think it's very helpful. Everyone agrees that we need hospitals. No one wants to have to live in one as a patient. We feel compassion for those who find themselves admitted to the hospital. Regardless of why a person ends up in the hospital, it is an unpleasant place to live. We know about the nurses and the doctors, and we respect what they are trying to do. For many of us, the jobs they perform are beyond our exact understanding. I mean, I can't really describe how I would assist in a spinal fusion surgery, and neither can you, unless you happen to be trained in that field. But even without fully understanding, we appreciate and respect them for trying. And we recognize that sometimes their jobs take a tremendous toll on them. Going without sleep, missing out on family time, working under stressful conditions, and having to stay alert to every detail or risk losing a patient. And hospital administrators, while often painted as the bad guys, in truth, are having to deal with the insurance companies, the federal and state regulations, the mortality rates, the new drug trials. They're trying to find the most effective, 
most affordable way to keep everyone happy and healthy. Not many of us want to switch places with them. But are hopeful that there are folks in these high power positions who are truly trying to do good, trying to be a force for healing and restoration in society, keeping our hospitals open for when we become sick and need them. So what about prisons? Everyone agrees that as our society is structured right now, we need prisons. Even the prison abolitionists with the most edgy philosophy are advocating for a society that moves toward the abolition of prisons altogether. I've not heard any experts suggest that we just let everybody out right now willy-nilly and start over from scratch. So, for right now, until prisons can be reformed in meaningful ways, or until a new system can be imagined and brought to life and voted into existence and funded, until we find a way to create a society that has no need for prisons at all, whatever the preferred solution might be to fixing things on a grand scheme, at this moment in history, like hospitals, our society needs prisons. No one wants to be a patient in the hospital, and no one wants to be sentenced to live in prison. Regardless of the crimes that they were charged with, the outcomes of the trials, plea deals, whatever may have brought them here, we can be pretty sure that any one of us would rather not have to live in a prison. But do we have compassion on prison inmates? Or do we think things like, well, if you don't want to go to prison, don't break the law. (laughs) I mean, duh, nobody has to go to prison, right? But if we took the same attitude with hospitals, we would roll our eyes and say, serves you right for every hospital patient who hasn't made healthy living a priority. Some folks are in a hospital bed due to circumstances that were utterly out of their control. But what about the folks who had some say in how their health declined, who've smoked, who've made poor choices about nutrition and are obese or anorexic or suffering the effects of bulimia, who have shirked exercise or have overdone it with exercise and injured themselves? who have worked in a career that made them more likely to be injured than other careers. See, countless reasons contribute to the end result of a person admitted to a hospital. And we typically are compassionate in response to that reality. We empathize with the fact that many things can work together to create an unexpected outcome. And even if some of those factors were poor choices on the part of the person in question, well, we all make bad choices, and sometimes our bad choices lead to disastrous results too. So we care about what happens to people who are in the hospital. We visit them if COVID allows. We send cards, we call on the phone, we make sure they're getting what they need and and supplement if they're not. We advocate for them when the system is being impossible and they're too weak to advocate for themselves. People who are incarcerated are very much like many patients in a hospital, but we are rarely quick to feel compassion and empathy for them. We take an out-of-sight, out-of-mind position. You did the crime, now do the time, and when you get out, choose to be a better person going forward. But before you decide that I'm just all ushy-squishy compassionate toward people who are locked up because my son is incarcerated, so duh, uh uh-huh, no, let me take a hard look at the corrections professionals in my son's prison, and in prisons all over the country. When you hear that someone is a correctional officer, do you feel instant admiration for them? 
Do you even know anyone who is a correctional officer? How about a case manager or a program director in a prison? You know lots of nurses, you know doctors, and while you might not want their jobs, you probably think of them as being in a helping profession. You probably imagine the years they have spent on their feet, going on 14 hours in their shift without complaint, sacrificing for the good of those in their care, and you so respect their dedication. Did you know that many correctional officers avoid telling people what they do for a living because it is just such a conversation killer when they do? People give them the side eye and immediately wonder when's the last time they had to take somebody down by force, and if maybe they secretly like that violence. Only I probably shouldn't ask them about it because, well, I mean, it's weird that they went into that line of work at all. I mean, who do you know in middle school who says, oh, I want to be a correctional officer when I grow up? It's somehow dirty work that we assume someone has to do, but we'd rather not be in close contact with it. COs and case managers and program directors and even nurses who are working in prisons are paid peanuts when compared to other similar jobs outside the prison arena. Our world often shows value for a profession by how much we pay the people who work in it. Well, if that's the case here, our society as a whole does not value correctional professionals very highly at all. Many prisons are built in the middle of nowhere, out away from the nice neighborhood so that we don't have to drive past them every day on our way to and from our jobs. These out-of-the-way towns are often economically depressed, and the starting wage available at many prisons for an officer position would be laughable in a slightly larger city with a variety of industries to choose from. My son's prison in Colorado had a staff turnover rate of 126% in 2021. And the starting wage for a new correctional officer was less than $20 an hour until very recently, when state money was approved to help combat the post-COVID staffing crisis. A turnover rate of 126%. A correctional officer starting wage of less than $20 an hour. Oh, and that brings me to look at the prison warden and his administrative staff. Something of a parallel to the hospital administrators whose jobs we think of as so difficult. How does a warden run a facility of 1,800 inmates when he has only $22 an hour to offer as a starting wage to potential corrections officers now that the state has subsidized that starting wage? How does he keep those officers' hours at a manageable level? So they aren't working so much overtime every week that they are chronically sleep-deprived and separated from family and friends for most of each week. How does he address the legitimate concerns of residents regarding danger, lack of necessary services, while also responding to facilities maintenance and repair needs? Oh, and programming to be implemented for rehabilitative purposes. Oh, don't forget staff training and and wellness. Oh, and, and compliance with state regulation under these circumstances. Do, do I recognize that warden as a person who is trying against all odds to be a force for good, for healing and restoration in our society? And if I don't, why is that? I'd like to suggest that one of the reasons most of us don't think of prisons in the same light as hospitals is because we don't think of prisons very often at all. 
My metaphor is not perfect by any means. Hospitals and prisons are not in complete parallel to one another. I know that. But there are significant similarities. And while hospitals grab our attention, prisons fly under the radar. Look at TV shows alone as an example. How many shows chronicle the weekly challenges and triumphs of the doctors and nurses in a hospital? And how many TV shows chronicle the challenges and triumphs of the correctional officers, the case managers, and the nurses in a prison? The few prison shows that are on focus on the people who are locked up and focus on their nefarious and underhanded activities and the clashes between the occasional good guy prisoner and the dirty cop corrections officer. That's where we find the drama, not in the inspiration, but in shock and suspense. We think of hospital staff as noble professionals in a helping profession. We don't think of corrections professionals that way, and yet somehow we want the quote-unquote bad guys who go to prison to be quote-unquote good guys before they are released. You know, upwards of 90% of prison inmates are eventually released, by the way. So it's in everyone's best interest for rehabilitation, restoration, and equipping for success to actually take place behind the prison walls. So if it's not the COs, staff, and administrators who are going to be the helping professionals who facilitate rehabilitation, who will it be? Do you see the fundamental problem? So what is a prison care compassion team? It's a group of compassionate people who are not a part of the corrections profession, but who recognize the need for change in how we think of and interact with prisons in our communities. It's people who commit to do small things with great love in an attempt to reduce the toxicity of a prison culture while reform on a grand scale has not yet arrived. It's people who decide to think of a prison as a neighborhood made up of uneasy residents who did not choose to spend their days and nights next door to one another and who need support from the outside to make things as positive as possible. A culture in which rehabilitation can take place in profoundly broken people, where restoration can be realized and people can be equipped to succeed in society upon release from prison. An individual could decide to be a supporter of positive prison culture, for sure, and that's how it all started for me. So yes, you do not have to be a part of a team. You don't have to pull others around you. But I talk in terms of team on the podcast because most folks seem to prefer to work together as they care for a prison in their community. So start solo if that's best for you. I'm just going to stick to team language because it's less clunky for me that way. So a prison care compassion team might form in a local community, meeting monthly at the library. It might begin in a church, as my first team did. It might start on a university campus in a student group interested in service to the community or interested in criminal justice or even sociology. A prison care compassion team commits to learn, first and foremost, to recognize the out-of-sight, out-of-mind circumstance that has been in place until now and to educate themselves on what it's really like behind the fence, day in and day out. And so they choose a prison to care about. Maybe it's the facility closest to them geographically. Maybe it's the facility where one of their members has a loved one who is incarcerated or a loved one who is employed. 
That's how my first team made its choice. We chose to care about the prison where my son Jay is serving his sentence. And it's 1,700 miles away from us in Colorado. But choosing a single prison to care about is the first step. You see, as long as prison remains some nebulous concept, you can't care deeply about the people who make up its neighborhood. When you narrow the focus onto a specific facility, you begin to form relationships with people. And as those people become more and more real to you and more and more connected to you, you can truly care about what happens in their world every day. You could celebrate successes with them enthusiastically. You can deeply hunger for change in the areas that bring significant challenge. And you can begin to care for the prison that you've chosen to care about. Caring for a prison leads you to move beyond simply learning and thinking and into responding to needs that you discover. Residents are isolated, discouraged, and surrounded by unhealthy relationships. Now, some of them don't care. Many wardens refer to those as the knuckleheads of the facility, where no matter what you do, they refuse to grow and change. But many of them do. They want to learn, to understand themselves and how they got to this low place, to grow and develop skills that will help them live and thrive into the future. They need compassionate, grounded people to serve as friends and encouragers along that journey. They benefit from the regular predictable correspondence of an encourager pen pal who supports their efforts to grow. So a prison care compassion team can begin corresponding with a few residents who express interest in this kind of relationship building. We'll teach you how to get those pen pal relationships started on future episodes of the podcast. Caring for a prison neighborhood means more than just encouraging the residents who are serving their sentences, though, right? It means the correctional officers who spend 10, 12, 14 hours a day in the prison with them. It means learning about their jobs, learning about their needs, and learning ways to show appreciation and respect and to offer tangible support. A prison care compassion team can plan a corrections officer's appreciation event in their community. They can give out gift cards to the local grocery store along with a note of gratitude for a hard job. Well done. The administration of a prison can offer insights into what would be a help and encouragement, a drop of positivity into an often negative environment. It will take time to earn the trust of administrators, and often the facility chaplain can be a good point of initial contact. But you'll be surprised at how many tiny ways there are to offer support for positive prison culture from outside the walls, without ever requiring any team member to undergo a background check or to take a training course, or to commit to a cumbersome weekly visitation schedule like a traditional prison ministry would require. And what should a prison care compassion team typically avoid? Well, anything that fuels the us-versus-them mentality in the facility. Be a compassionate listener when a resident complains about problems, but don't pour gasoline on that angry fire. Develop relationships of sufficient depth to be able to gently suggest that the cops may be dealing with hard stuff in their lives right now, too. 
Don't preach or think of residence as projects for you to work on. Cultivate true relationships. Offer your own story as appropriate. Allow yourself to be real, flawed, and limited. But make yourself available as an encouraging friend, a voice of hope in the life of an incarcerated person. You should avoid trying to make changes in prison policy. The job of a prison care compassion team is to show compassion. Yes, there are probably a lot of policies about which you will develop opinions. But the moment you try to force change, you automatically alienate yourself from anyone in that prison neighborhood who disagrees with you. No one can, in good conscience, disagree with a person who says, I want to be a source of encouragement to everyone in this facility because I think each one of you has a hard job to do when you wake up every morning. I want to learn about you. I want to respect you for your good efforts. I want to appreciate what you are doing that makes the world a better place. And I want to see if there's any way that I can make that burden a little lighter. I am Oshi Squishy, and it's about the people who make up the whole prison neighborhood. They're so often completely overlooked. And when they are noticed, they're often misunderstood. That's a tough way to do life. And as long as we have prisons, someone will be living that tough life. So I'd like to help. Would you? You can't fix things for the prison system as a whole. You can't fix what's broken even in the facility of your choice as a prison care compassion team. But you can offer a kind word. You can provide a listening ear. You can facilitate a fundraiser that makes it easier for an underpaid CO to buy groceries this week. You can make time in your week to write a real letter to a real person who is incarcerated, learning more about them and sharing your own life in return. If you're a person of faith, you can pray. You can share your evolving perspective on prisons with others in your life, raising awareness of the need for prison care everywhere, finding other compassionate people to join in the effort to do small things with great love. You can make a difference in one person's day. And that may, in turn, make a difference in 10 more people. (laughs) Honestly, you have no idea how big this could be. As our time draws to a close today, let me tell you just a little bit about what you can expect on future episodes of the Prison Care Podcast. The goal is to release one 25-minute episode each week. Some of those episodes will be me going solo, like this one, casting vision on a variety of culture-creating opportunities and sharing a bit of our family's personal story. Some will be interviews with others who have expertise in a wide range of areas. And some will be interviews with Jay, my son, sharing his perspective and that of his incarcerated friends from behind the walls as he serves his sentence, but remains committed to creating a positive prison culture from the inside. The overall goal of this podcast is to encourage listeners to think, to care, and to respond in compassionate ways that can have a positive impact on the overwhelmingly negative culture inside a prison's walls. We welcome your questions and thoughts. Please drop us a comment on the Contact Us page at prisoncare.org or send an email to info at prisoncare.org. And the website there offers an ever-growing library of always free, downloadable PDF resources for your prison care compassion team. 
or maybe for you as you consider starting a prison care compassion team. Please visit prisoncare.org, take a look around, offer some feedback, and then share the site with your friends. We all have a lot to learn about this important need in our society, and together we can make a positive difference. We truly have no idea how big this could be if we are willing to simply be one tiny part of the process. Thanks for listening to the Prison Care Podcast. Be sure to visit us at prisoncare.org. Prison Care, equipping compassionate people to support positive prison culture from the outside, because everyone on the inside matters.